0: everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to first start with uh, Kat Abogazela, and she's going to give us uh, an update on Fox and Tucker Carlson. And we also have Congressman Dan Goldman from New York's 10th Congressional District. Before we get into all that, thank you for listening today. We appreciate you uh, checking us out, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com, and we'll perhaps read a few of those emails on the air. So let's get to our two big things this week. But first,
1: what do I say? Whatever well, you want we'll us to make us Uh, yeah. What's your name? Yuri? picture picture. Did you have a question? Yeah.
2: Why tell me what it is?
3: Where's Hunter? Where the f? He's Butcher.
0: that one? What? The hell happened there? This little kid? I don't know. Where were they? The White House or something? The
1: White House press. I
0: I guess they invited in some regular people. And this little kid sitting on his father's shoulders. What is it coming to in this world when, like, little children are allowed uh, near the President of the United States and can ask questions like, where the fuck is Hunter Biden? Like, it's kind of crazy, right?
1: I want to know the parents of Yuri. Who are they?
0: Yeah. All right. Tucker Carlson is our first big thing. Not a lot to discuss other than he got fired.
1: I mean, there are so many theories about why he was fired. Essentially, I think it comes down to they were sick of him thinking he was more important than Fox. And I saw that yesterday, The, you know, there used to be pictures of Laura Ingram and him and everyone else on the head of uh, headquarters of Fox. And now they removed them all. So is that an indication that none of them should think that their jobs are safe or is it just... I
0: would, yeah, I would, I would think they're in jeopardy. I mean, look, you know, Dominion still has individual suits against all of the, those people that you mentioned. And so it wasn't over. This Dominion thing isn't over for Fox. And I think they just made a calculated assessment that keeping him with his lack of advertisers doesn't give much of an ROI.
3: True, but the culture, I don't really believe that this is a referendum on the culture at Fox. There'll be another Tucker Carlson-esque Definitely. person who'll take that time slot, and it'll all be copacetic.
0: I, I still believe, uh, Rupert, if you're out there listening, give the slot to Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Start the rehabilitation tour.
1: Kumbaya. Yeah, They would have to be a sane network to do exactly. that, and that's not going to happen. <laughs>
0: I well, did. Well, I did. You know, I, I did, you know uh, me, Maddie. I'm the eternal optimist. Yes. I believe in the the inherent good of people, and I think Fox can have a turnaround.
1: What did you think of uh, Tucker's little video that he released from his basement, like uh, some sort of Wayne's uh, World thing? It was. Uh,
0: it was. I, I can't even comment on it. It was so stupid it was and so name stupid and long. It was way too way too freaking long. The next big thing is Trump date, uh, which for those of you who don't know, I actually had to look this up. It's a cool word. Portmanteau. That's the combination of two words. Mm. So it's a combination of Trump and update.
3: Oh. That's a new
0: thing we're going to do here in the back room. We're going to have a, tr- a weekly Trump date. <laughs> no, Jen, it's, it's not dating Trump. Oh. No. I know, as much as you want to.
3: Mm. I love um, the comb over.
0: But it was an interesting week for Trump. Out in Georgia, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis announced on Monday that she notified the sheriff that she's going to be making a decision on indictments this summer and that he should prepare for violence and it, call me crazy but do you think her motivation was you know those liberals are going to be rioting in the streets when I don't indict Trump I think she was telegraphing that indictment of Trump and others
3: see that's the news that's a great yeah. thank you for bringing that point forward
0: yeah I mean it's you know she's getting ready and she wants the sheriff and the police to get ready the e. Jean Carroll rape case kicked off this week, uh, and that was kind of bombastic yesterday, with uh, Joe Tacapina. Hey. hey, hey, look! If you're if you're accused of rape, and you got to like have your attorneys cross-examine the the defend- not the defendant, plaintiff, the compl- the, the, right? You you want like a like a guy like Joe Tacapina doing it, right? Hey, hey! How come you didn't scream, right? You don't don't just scream when you get raped. Right, right. And then he's like looking at the jury, right? And you get raped, you scream. And if you don't scream, you don't get ra- Like, what a boneheaded decision.
3: Bada boom, bada bang. Bada bada boom, <laughs> Done. Bang. Like,
0: maybe it would have been better to have like a like a nice, classy female attorney cross examining E.G. and Carol.
1: Trump doesn't know one of those.
0: Well, that's the thing. You hear that all day yesterday, and it's like they wouldn't work for Trump. You know, maybe Sydney, the Kraken would do it, Sydney Powell. But. Trump's not there. He's not showing up. He's not going to testify. Didn't want to give uh, DNA. Like, it, but you know. But then he's
1: he's talking about the DNA on Truth Social. Yeah, you know, it's just another
0: thing. witch hunt. It's all everything is a witch hunt with Trump. I mean, yeah. I I gotta say, I gotta say, even as a tart, I feel so bad for Trump because that man, he's a solid citizen. He's completely honest and genuine and altruistic. Uh, probably the greatest president we've ever had. And for some strange reason, everyone everywhere all over the world is attacking him and the indicting him of, investigating it's just it's such a crazy witch hunt the
1: definition of a conspiracy of
0: everyone they've they're all like they have meetings every week like aa it's, there's like an aa meeting every week of how what can we do now to make shit up to attack trump
1: yep yeah. he he seems like he's going to have multiple indictments sooner than mm-hmm. later and uh you know there's still the investigation going in from uh the attorney general of state of new york that he has yeah. uh, yet to Deal with
0: and Jack Smith is he brought Pence that's in yesterday? The big one. Huge. I mean, I think that's that's the not the smoking gun, but that's the that's going to be the pivotal point in 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 the J six investigation. He also has the stolen documents, which uh, in a ten page letter, his lawyers asked the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence to pass legislation that would prevent the Department <laughs> of Justice from continuing their investigation of the I mean, stolen no document. I no doubt that'll
1: pass the Senate too, no, right? No yes. doubt. Yes,
0: and, and <laughs> Biden said, I'll, I'll stamp that one. 100%. All right, let's get to our winners and losers.
3: My winner, ethics for SCOTUS potential. In a bipartisan bill, Senators Angus King and Lisa Murkowski urged the Supreme Court to adopt ethics code after recent revelations about Justices Thomas and Gorsuch. Loser, abortion, one step forward, two steps back. The North Dakota governor signs near-total abortion ban just a month after the state Supreme Court blocked an earlier ban.
1: Uh, my winner this week is Bob Iger and Disney for finally saying enough is enough and filing a lawsuit against the autocratic meatball governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, for violating the First Amendment rights. And my loser this week is SCOTUS. Faced with multiple serious ethics concerns, Chief Justice John Roberts answered the Senate Judiciary Committee with a letter that essentially said he would do nothing and pretended that already they adhered to ethical standards, which, of course, is not true.
0: Uh, My winner, I also go with Disney, which sued DeSantis for injunctive relief over a, quote, targeted campaign of government retaliation, which, quote, jeopardizes its economic future and, quote, violates its federal constitutional rights. My loser, Nikki Haley, who actually said people shouldn't vote for Joe Biden because he's gonna be dead in five years. That gets us to our weekly rant. I have to say, I'm thoroughly enjoying the ongoing implosion of Ron bobblehead DeSantis and his presidential campaign that never was. The Florida fascist whose white go-go boots would make Nancy Sinatra jealous. This week became a MAGA meme with his bizarre head-shaking response to a reporter's question about him falling behind Trump in the polls. He was so visibly uncomfortable with the question that his head nearly did a 360 spin like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. It was a gift to libtards like me, who decided just for shits and giggles, especially for the giggles, to slap a ridiculously exaggerated bobblehead impression as my very first video on TikTok, which I'm thrilled to say actually has around 16,000 views so far. Uh, but DeSantis's freakishly physica- freakish physicality isn't the only thing setting fire to his presidential fantasies. He continues to be bitch slapped nonstop by Trump. His misguided attacks on Disney is backfiring hugely, especially now with the lawsuit it just filed against him. And his th- and through his racist, homophobic, transphobic, book banning, vagina- obsessed culture war policies, he's hemorrhaging moderate Republican and independent voters big donors, and key endorsements. And he has no shot at expanding his base nationally, which is what you need to do if you're eyeballing the White White House. So stick a fork in him. He's become a joke, a late-night talk show joke, a Mike Dukakis helmet-wearing, Howard Dean-screaming joke. And jokes don't become president. All right, let's bring out Kat Abugazale. She is a Tucker Carlson and Fox watcher. Cat, welcome back into the back room. Thanks for having me. So I imagine this has been a really sleepy week for you.
4: Oh, it's been so boring, so uneventful. Has anything happened? I don't think
0: so. I don't. I don't know. I mean, has anything happened with uh, oh, maybe Tucker Carlson? Is there any new? Are there? Is there any news about him?
4: You know, I heard something. Because you're a watcher, right? You're a Tucker on his hands.
0: You're now. a Tucker Carlson watcher. So, what's he been up to this week?
4: Well. Sorry to burst any Tucker fans' bubbles, but he has been fired. I what? can't say that without my cheeks hurting. What? That's crazy. Tucker Carlson it's was crazy. fired.
0: Unbelievable. He was
4: fired. I don't know if you heard. No, I, I, I
0: I, have been, I, you know me. I'm, on, I'm on a news blackout. I can't stand the news. <laughs> so I know how I felt when I heard that news. I can't imagine how you felt. Have you been on like a 3-day celebratory bender? Like are your friends trying like slipping food under your door cuz they're worried about you?
4: I mean, I'm not going to lie, the, my dopamine levels on Monday were I think unsafe for the human body. Like I felt I woke up and I was like, "What high was I <laughs> on yesterday?" I mean, I still felt good, but it was almost like I'd been depleted. Like a I mean, we did have a long night after that. Yeah, I know. It was just amazing. I heard it and I didn't believe it for a second. So I looked up like five corroborating sources. And then I was immediately called my mother and I was like, you're not going to believe this. She was, was like, so you're, sudden. You're, tra-
0: you're not pregnant, are you? Like mothers, always, <laughs> that's the first place mothers always go. <laughs> they don't, they don't oh want, their God. default is not I'm, Tucker Carlson getting I fired.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, It was just so, it was so sudden. It was like, what the what the hell is happening? And it wasn't like we were waiting or we thought it would happen soon. Like people have been waiting for Janine Piro. It was just like, oh, 9 a.m. on a Monday. Tucker's fired. Tucker's out of a job.
0: And when you heard that news, what did you then do? Tell me the rest of Kat's day or night.
4: <laughs> so I saw the news. And, well, first I was on our Discord State Watch, which is like aggregating state news. And it just started going crazy for a second. I looked at it and it's like, I need live cat reaction. I need live cat reaction. I saw it and I was like, what? So I looked up the sources, immediately tweeted, let's fucking go. Uh, Called my mom and I jumped around my apartment like a little kid throughout the day. And the rest of the day, I was pretty much just, you know, writing scripts. And I went out for a bit and got some thought, like my favorite thought place because I wanted to celebrate. Then we worked and I spent the entire night just like lapping my ass off because Killmead is such a bad host. You could tell everyone was visibly rattled. They had no idea what to do. And after that, I went out with some coworkers, and we celebrated.
0: And do you think Killmead and the rest of the Fox News crew, do you think they were completely blindsided by this?
4: Oh, a hundred percent. And I mean, the reports that I've seen are that Suzanne Scott and... Rupert Murdoch decided on Friday and then told him on Monday. But it was very obvious there was no contingency plan. There was no plan B. They were not ready at all. And you can tell that in their content. I mean, Brian Kilmeade started his show yesterday by reading mean YouTube comments about Joe Biden. And I've seen a lot of people that saw Tucker's video yesterday, which was him talking about nothing for two minutes straight. And they're like, oh, it got so many more views than Fox News. And I'm like, yeah, because it's a two-minute clip on Twitter. Right. What do you expect? But, yeah, everyone is just visibly rattled. They obviously don't know what they're going to do. There's not a clear replacement for him. And it's amazing. Every day it just gets better.
0: I have this idea that if I was consulting Fox News, the way to t- totally redeem themselves is to give that slot to Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger.
4: I think that multiple people would have strokes in their homes. I personally think (laughs) I should get that spot. I'm not saying they'll like it. I'm just saying they'll get good ratings for at least a week.
0: Like, sure, there would be a lot of stroke action, I think, if Cheney and Kinzinger had it. But then I think six months from now, all the old Republicans would be like, oh, yeah, this is the way we used to be. Yeah. Like, if they really wanted to turn their ship around, that's what they would do. But I, I agree with you. I think that they're too deep in the MAGA hole to do that.
4: Oh, for sure. And also, like, these, there's no one that has the same oomph as Tucker. You know, I mean, you have Waters, and I'm guessing they'll probably put Waters up to 8 p.m. And then when they decide that replacement, they'll, you know, have him at eight and then the replacement at seven. But there's no one that has the same oomph as Tucker. I mean, Kilmeade has been floundering this week. Tulsi Gabbard's horrible at hosting television. Everyone there, there's no one that just matches Tucker's weird brand of charisma that some people seem to really like.
0: And when you say oomph, do you really mean like sexism, racism, overt corruption, treason, insanity, deception, like... That was really his oomph, right? I mean, that's part of it. I mean,
4: yeah, but they have that too. I mean, there's no one at Fox that's like a moderate now. It's, you know, these people are still agreeing with, and they would just repeat what Tucker would say the next morning. They'd be like, oh, I'm on Fox and Friends. Let me just look at Tucker last night and those are our stories today. But they don't have the same shameless delivery and overt confidence of a white man who has been given so much power that he has never earned in his life. So there's just... You don't have that maniacal laugh. You don't have (laughs) that weird voice he does when he gets really frustrated. Mm -hmm. There's no one with the same type of can't-look-away-ness that Tucker has.
0: It'll be really interesting to see what happens with that slot. But what do you think is going to happen to Tucker? Is he going to end up on RT or something?
4: I have no idea. From what I've heard, his contract is being paid out like over the next two years. The thing is... It feels like all of these stories, the stories keep breaking. And it's always it just makes the entire thing so much better. I mean, he just built some finished building multi-million dollar TV studios in all of his homes. And then the video he filmed yesterday was like in the one corner without any Fox branding. But I'm not sure he can torch the network or get hired by anyone else, at least for the time being, because there's this implicit threat in apparently these texts that are worth almost $800 million. And it it feels like a threat to me. And Mm. there's that oppo file, apparently. It feels like, don't hire this guy. But we'll see. I mean, a lot of these people are shameless, so it doesn't really matter. So
0: do you think he was fired because there's a lot of stuff that we in the public haven't seen yet? Not that the stuff we have seen isn't horrible enough, but apparently there's all these other texts and all these other things that that are highly incriminating which may make him untouchable in a way and if he has a contract and he's being paid out then is he just sitting on the shelf for at least 2 years?
4: I mean, I have no idea. I want to th- I want to think so, but also Tucker manages to weasel his way into lots of things. And you know, places like Rumble that have a lot of money that they're throwing around, they don't really care about stuff like that, but if it was worth spending all of that money and worth throwing away the cash cow that is Tucker, I'm really curious to see whatever the hell it is.
0: What about 4chan, the cable network?
4: <laughs> I mean, then you you know have to just have that whole writing team there. That was basically his writing team to begin with mm. in my work.
0: Is this symbolic of anything? Are there lessons to be learned here? Should we on the left say, oh, this is justice at work. You know, Fox is going to change and everything's going to be grey, Kumbaya.
4: I mean, Fox isn't going to fire anyone for the sake of principle. So there's no win on principles here. But I do think we should celebrate this like little victories because this was not even a little victory. This was a big one. And this week has just been filled with them. I mean, Stephen Crowder's life is a mess. Candace Owens is having his ex-wife on TV. Don Lemon was fired from CNN. Yeah, we should celebrate these things, even though it probably wasn't for any reason that it should have been. I don't think Fox will learn its lesson, except to lie a little bit better and have people that are a little bit more obedient. But in the meantime, we can laugh. I think we deserve it.
0: Oh, there's been a a shitload of laughter in my house. Uh, What about this talk of Tucker running with Trump as his VP? Not so crazy, is it?
4: I mean, I think it is because you can't stand Trump and Trump is shown that he's got the boot on Tucker's neck. That's what that whole interview was about.
0: But isn't that the All isn't the... that the the secret sauce to Trump that taking someone who he knows despises him and controlling him and making him his bitch. Like that would just be perfect for Trump.
4: Oh, he would love that, but think of how that'd play in the general. How would I mean it... not, the majority of the country doesn't watch Tucker. And a lot of people think that he's just like this problem child that keeps pushing replacement theory which is exactly what he is it might do well in a primary but i'm not sure how it'd do in the general also people underestimate just how lazy tucker is like i said he had multi-million dollar studios built in all of his homes which is just i I keep (laughs) laughing every time i think about it and for what you know like he's because he doesn't want to go into the office because he's lazy
0: yeah but think about it though First of all, you're speaking very intelligently and logically. So when it comes to Trump and perhaps even Tucker Carlson, n- those two things don't apply. But think about it in a real logical sense. Trump is lazy too. He's not running for president. He has no real campaign. So it's just the two of these guys perhaps getting on a stage somewhere in a rally every 2 weeks and getting love and adulation, especially if Tucker's taken off the out of the game because of, you know, legal, contractual restrictions. I don't know. I think it fits Trump's whole essence a million percent for me, and I don't I don't see it as that outlandish for, for Carlson, especially if he, his hands are tied and he can't do much else.
4: Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I hope not, just because I would not have to listen to him again. I had to listen to that laugh on a more regular basis. Sometimes I still feel like I'm going to wake up and hear that hyena laugh, but yeah, we'll see.
0: So my last question to you is, what about Kat? What is what's Kat's day like now that she doesn't necessarily have to watch Tucker Carlson anymore?
4: It's basically the same. It's been so funny seeing people say that I'm going to be fired or like be concerned that I'm going to be fired. My job isn't just to watch Tucker. I watch Fox like the rest Mm -hmm. of the night shifters. So I'm still watching the 8 p.m. hour. And this week, it's Kill Me. Next week, it's I don't know, Kid Rock. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, that's basically my life is pretty much unchanged, except Mm -hmm. a lot more joy because I get to see Tucker suffer and every day it feels like there's a new story. And, you know, most of my content, like the majority of my content is not about Tucker. It was about Fox and Mm -hmm. right wing media in general. You're not going
0: to miss him at all? just Even a little bit?
4: Like I said, (laughs) fuck no. (laughs) All
0: right, we're going to end. I don't
4: curse on my TikTok, but that was the exception.
0: (laughs) We're going to end on that note. Well, thanks for hopping on and uh, giving us catch thoughts of the week on Tucker Carlson. And we'll hope to see you again soon.
4: Thanks for having me so much.
0: Take care. All right, let's get to Congressman Dan Goldman. Representative Goldman serves New York's 10th congressional district. In 2019, he served as lead counsel for the impeachment investigation of President Donald J. Trump for abusing his office for his personal interest regarding Ukraine. Prior to that, Goldman served for a decade as assistant United States attorney in the Southern district of New York. Congressman, welcome into the back room. Thanks for having me, Andy. Great to be here. So before we get into all the fun political stuff, I just wanted to peel the onion back a little bit, maybe go back to childhood. What were you like as a kid? Was politics something that interested you? Well, I actually grew up in D.C.,
2: one of the the few. So politics was always uh, circulating around, but it was not something that was a true passion of mine more of an interest, but, you know, as a kid, I was a sports nut, played a bunch of sports, watched a bunch of sports, and ultimately became more and more interested in what's going on in in our world in, in my adult years. Certainly was very interested in some of the sort of equal rights, civil rights inter- areas of, of trying to understand how... We can level the playing field and give everyone an opportunity to succeed. I was a history major, so mm-hmm. I studied especially studied the civil rights movement and wrote a senior thesis on the Jewish involvement in the civil rights movement so that has always been a, an interest, but converting that into the political arena was was sort of a late breaking story
0: and, and I asked this question as a Jew myself, especially with the the rampant rise in anti-Semitism today and the fact that I think a lot of people do forget the, the symbiotic relationship Jews had to people of color and how Jews fought for, for civil rights, how some uh, gave up their lives for civil rights. W- what do you think about all that today? Not just the rise in anti-Semitism, but the, the struggle which
2: Jews were much a part of seems to be getting a little bit muddied. Yes, and it's something I talk about a, a lot is that, especially right after the Holocaust, and that's when the civil rights movement began in, in this country, there was a real connection and affinity between the Jews who were persecuted around the world and, and exterminated in in Europe and and uh, other people of color who have not been given the same access in, in the history of our country. And i talk about it a lot the rise of anti-semitism is scary it's something very much felt in my district the rise of anti-asian hate Mm -hmm. has been exponentially increasing over the past couple of years and i have a significant asian population in my district and then there are legacy then sort of the xenophobia of republicans immigration policy which is clearly discriminatory against the hispanic communities and the legacy institutional and systemic racism, uh, especially against black Americans. So uh, one of the things I talk a lot about and try to emphasize is the, the impact of our voices is much greater when we are all unified in making the argument for equal rights against hate in, in all of its forms. And so I've been working with other members of those communities to try to unify our cause and emphasize that hate of all sorts is unacceptable. We all feel it in different ways and we all have to be unified in fighting back against it. You
0: know, and speaking of the Holocaust and Holocaust denial in particular, we recently had on the podcast, the actor, Juliana Margulies, and she's helped found a program at the Museum of Jewish Heritage, which aims to teach students across the country about the Holocaust and to address specifically Holocaust denial, what's your opinion on on where that is today in terms of the survivors dying off and maybe a few years away from not having any living survivors who are around to tell their stories and to reinforce that this genocide actually did happen?
2: It's a great point and it's very scary to think about the rise in Holocaust denialism and the the impact of Father Time and that there are fewer and fewer survivors to tell their stories. I'm an original co-sponsor of something called the HEAL Act, which is designed to assess Holocaust education around the country. And because I think we in Congress, in addition to many others outside, recognize that the Holocaust denialism is on the rise, as along with anti-Semitism, and we we truly can never forget what was, you know, the worst genocide in in history, and is something that is being attacked in schools uh, around the country, where Republicans don't want to or want to whitewash our history and not teach Holocaust history and, and Black history. So this is a this is a really, really important cause right now that needs extra attention and extra energy.
0: And maybe this is an oversimplified point, but do you with the rise in anti-Semitism, the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes and of course, transphobia, homophobia, xenophobia, etc. Do you think that's all stemming
2: from Trump and Trumpism? I don't think it stems from Trump. I think Trump gave people who have those perhaps deep-seated sentiments license to come, come public with them. And so, I, I mean, I think Trump exacerbated it and certainly has, but has more than anything given people license to express it um, in, a, in a way that is is dangerous and, and hurtful. And, and a lot of this is is simple education. And there's an opportunity here to recognize w- what is the the rise of, of hate expression, hate crime. I think we do need to bolster our hate crimes laws and add sentencing enhancements for those who commit crimes with a discriminatory motive. But so much of this is is truly education. I, I think that the data is pretty clear that when people start to learn about the history of different cultures, meet people from different cultures, a lot of the stereotypes break down.
0: So let's shift to politics. What made you decide to enter this crazy game, in particular, the House of Representatives? I mean, we were sitting around looking at Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and those guys and, and thinking, well, that's a fun place to be right now. I want to get in on
2: that action. <laughs> yeah you could and and it wasn't as if i i was unaware of it having worked in in the house as a staff member on the intelligence committee for a little over a year and certainly did not expect to be here when i finished my stint in on the intelligence committee after the impeachment the first impeachment of donald trump but what i saw from that point to last year when i decided to run is the degradation of our democracy and uh, truly the effort to not only take, uh, take power in an authoritarian and fascist fashion as Trump did in 2020, but a real attack on our fundamental values and our democratic institutions. And it scared me and it still scares me because Donald Trump, notwithstanding everything that we know about him, remains the front runner to be the Republican nominee in the next presidential election. And that should scare every. The fact that he has such support and given everything we know and January 6th and his effort to overturn the election. And that's just, you know, that he has now continued to double and triple down on it. It's not as if that Uh, that chilled him in any way or deterred him in any way. And so I looked around and I felt like I'd taken on Trump before in the impeachment and taken on the House Republicans and felt that either you could put your head under a pillow and hope it goes away, or you could make a decision to dive into the arena and try to make a difference. And because of that experience, I felt like I... I did have some value to add in this particular time that we are in and felt compelled to try to put my energy in the arena so that we can preserve and protect our democracy so that we can continue to be a country of laws and and not people. And that that's a a message that I'm very familiar with and and very comfortable with and and felt like there was an opportunity a unique opportunity for me to, to jump in.
0: Well, I could say as a constituent of yours, I live in lower Manhattan. I'm glad you did. I know there's a lot of people who are glad you did. And so be- besides preserving democracy, which is the most important position one could get behind right now, what are the other issues that were, were and are your main motivators for being in politics? I know immigration reform is something you care a lot about and also affordable housing.
2: Yeah. You know, I I have always had the view as someone who has committed my career to public service first as a prosecutor and then as a staff member in Congress and now as an elected official that it's it's very important as a beneficiary of on both sides of my family, uh, people who really live the true American dream that everyone has access and opportunity to pursue the American dream. And that has been a through line throughout my career. And it's something that guides me and drives me as I'm in Congress. So we are a country of immigrants. We've all, we all obviously in a, a country that's just over 200 years old. We all came from somewhere. Many of us have relatives who recently immigrated. My grandmother escaped anti-Semitism in Russia in the early 20th century and came to the United States through Ellis Island. And her brother worked in a a store that he owned to send my grandmother and her other brothers through college. And that's the true American story that so many share. And my goal is to continue to promote policies and legislation that gives everyone access to that opportunity. And we talked a little bit earlier about sort of the institutional and systemic uh, racism that has existed in this in this country and that has limited that opportunity for many people. So we need to have affordable housing. We need to have affordable childcare. We need to have health care for access for everyone. Um, we, we need the basics uh, so that people can uh, continue to pursue an ed- education and pursue careers with a, a little bit of a assistance from the government. Uh, it's not a, a, we're not looking to st- aim people on the government's dime. We're looking to give people the boost and the opportunity that they need to succeed. And that, that is the through line through all my work. Mm-hmm.
0: And those are important issues. And I think, you know, the American dream that you talk about and the American values, a lot of people, they as tourists, they love going to the Statue of Liberty, but they don't really care about what's written there. Give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free and all that jazz. And then they go home and they just live their lives in, in an exact opposite fashion. And I think it's important that we as a country get back to being the greatest democracy in the world, one that welcomes people who are oppressed elsewhere. And so that, that's an important thing. I want to talk to you also about your your first 100 or 120 days, but before I do that, I want to talk about what a, what of course is the most important day in that period, which is February 9th, 2023, which of course is National Bagels and Locks Day, and that was the day that I think the House Bagel Caucus, which you are you found you founded that, or are you a co-founder? Yes. Okay. So that was that it had its inaugural meeting. Tell us, uh, because this is really important, the the significance of the bagel. You can start with domestic value, and then we can shift to geopolitical. But what? Why the bagel?
2: (laughs) Well, New York, you know, as a resident there, is the home to the best bagels in the world. And And I hear Jews like bagels. Is that true? The Jews like bagels. Jews Jews love bagels. I just Um, want to clarify that. About it, and it is it is part of. you know, our religion and our culture. Mm-hmm. And so there was a, a little bit of that thread as well, but we we were looking for uh, opportunities to bring and expose other members to what is one of the best things that comes from my district in lower Manhattan and Northwest Brooklyn. But we also were looking for ways that are very difficult in Congress these days for members to get together in a non uh, fraught or tense environment, almost all the time that we uh, get together, especially with uh, Republicans, is either on the House floor or in committees. Uh, there's very little socialization uh, between the parties. Mm-hmm. And so it was something that we wanted to try to facilitate, was an opportunity for people to get together in a social way, in a relaxed way, and get to know each other, uh, which of course building relationships is such an, an important part of doing the work down here. Mm-hmm. And so that that was really the impetus behind it. And we're thrilled that it has taken on the life that it has and so we're, we're looking forward to continue the Bagel Caucus. We're going to do an in-district Bagel Caucus next week, and we'll continue to do it down in, in the capital. So maybe the
0: Bagel Caucus can combine with the Problem Solvers Caucus and come up with like, where do you get the best bagel, especially if you leave the island of Manhattan or, or Brooklyn or Queens? Is this this is a this is a pressing issue with all the toxic partisanship and tribalism, like there literally might be a chance that we can bring the two sides together over some white fish salad. I think that's, I think you might've hit on something that hasn't been done yet. Bagel
2: diplomacy.
0: Who you? knew? There you go. So what is the best bagel? Do you want to take a stand on that?
2: No. I I, <laughs> I didn't I, think you would. <laughs> as a, as a, uh, as a, as a, as a now <laughs> politician, there is no benefit to me, uh, taking, stands and choosing one of the many, many fine bagel in, uh in New York 10.
0: Well, that might be a good segue to your first 100 days, because it seemed like you've clearly learned a very valuable lesson about politics very early on, not to piss off anybody. <laughs> so give me your summary, your highlights of your first 100, 120 days in office.
2: Well, it's there. They're really two parallel tracks that we've been working on. The first is a lot of the committee work in in Washington, standing up to the Republican partisan investigations and their committees, calling out and emphasizing the facts and the evidence, and, and showing that there are a lot of baseless accusations that are not supported by the facts and being able to identify those areas and, and aggressively push back. Obviously, I've also spent a fair amount of time in Washington putting pressure on the Republican Party and George Santos mm-hmm. to get him out of Congress. It is a blight on the institution of Congress that a fraudster like George Santos continues to walk the halls. And we saw it this week where you know he was able to hold out on the debt limit vote in order to basically get attention from the speaker. And they they continue to have him in Congress because they want his vote. And it's a disgrace. On that other track, um, I've really been diving into the district and to the issues that are facing New York 10 and New York City more broadly. We've been spending a lot of time in the communities in the district that traditionally have not gotten a lot of attention because those are the, the communities that really need assistance. And they often don't even, the the members of those communities don't even know that government is really there for them, not against them. And so we've been doing a lot of outreach and engagement around the district to explain what the government, what the, my office can do to help people in the district, but also what programs there may be that are available and lifting up those those programs and make, making connections so that people know there there is help out there for them. And then we've been diving into a lot of the critical issues, the migrant crisis in New York City, transportation infrastructure issues, including the BQE uh, renovation that is uh, so important. Housing, I sponsored the Public Housing Emergency Response Act which would bring $30 billion to NYCHA for capital improvements. And, you know, I don't have, I'm not especially optimistic that will pass in this Congress, but we're going to continue to work on that. And we're also coming up with creative ways to try to bolster NYCHA's efforts at maintenance and response. My district has 31 NYCHA developments, which is the most of any district. And that's a real focus of of. Ours in the district is making sure that we're holding NYCHA's feet to the fire to to provide the necessary services that every New Yorker deserves to receive.
0: And what's going to happen with the debt ceiling? We always see year after year, the two sides posturing, default looms overhead, the markets react a little bit, and then we eventually see a negotiated settlement. Is that what we're looking at again?
2: I, I kind of disagree with that assessment. We only see that when there's a Democratic administration. When, and there's a Republican administration, there's no problem in lifting the debt ceiling for, by the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Democrats consistently recognize that we need to pay our bills. Mm-hmm. If we are going to address spending or revenues, You know, we don't even really talk about taxes in the context of our budget. But those are two completely separate issues. And during the Trump administration, the debt limit was raised three times Mm -hmm. in a clean bill without any of these hostage-taking efforts to uh, cut spending to the everyday New Yorkers and Americans that benefit from those programs. So let's let's not be trite about this. This is political brinksmanship. By the republicans to take advantage of what is something that is the the responsibility of congress which is to pay our debts and to use it to try to extort um, the democrats with policy with spending cuts to the programs that we support in this debt limit bill that the uh, Republicans passed this week, the Default on America Act, they said that they're not going to touch any of the tax cuts uh, for the wealthy. They have now taken the view, which I'm highly skeptical of, that they would not cut Social Security or, or Medicare. But what that means is that there's an average of 22% cuts across all other domestic discretionary spending. So that is going to mean that people are going to lose Medicaid. They are going to lose health care. They are going to lose food benefits. They are going to lose housing benefits across the board veterans are going to lose all sorts of care. They are just literally taking an axe to all of the programs that buttress the vast majority of Americans and try to help them get from day to day, week to week so that they can start to build their their careers and their lives and lift themselves out of poverty. And they're just taking an axe to all of that holds it, trying to hold the Democrats hostage because we are generally the party that does the right thing Mm -hmm. and pays our debts. And so it is shameful. It is disgusting. And it is uh, truly an attack on Americans.
0: Now, I agree with that 100 percent. But I I guess my question is, if you were a gambling man, at the end of the day, do you really sit here today and think that Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans are going to cause a default
2: over this issue?
0: Because that's really what it boils down to.
2: I don't know. I know there are there are many people in in the Republican Party in the House who would do that. And what the problem we have right now is that Kevin McCarthy is completely beholden to the fringe extremists in his party. Uh, They extorted him to extract significant concessions in order to vote for him to be speaker. And he was willing to go along with anything to get to be speaker, but now he has no power because they can continually threaten that they'll remove him as speaker. And so I don't trust them for one second that they would not sacrifice the full faith and credit of the United States if it would benefit them politically, especially the extremists like Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Freedom Caucus members who I think would have no problem taking down our full faith and credit. Well, I think that's the real question is,
0: would it really benefit the party as opposed to just a couple of people? But I know we got just a a minute left here, and I want to ask you about the Supreme Court. Is there anything that the House, that the the Democrats can do to just deal with the the lack of integrity and ethics that this court represents?
2: What has coming out out of this board over the last couple of years, and especially recently in in a series of issues with with, uh, Clarence Thomas and even Samuel Alito, uh, who there was a big expose in the New York Times about his ethical lapses, is it is long past time that Supreme Court justices must have a code of ethics that applies to them and that can be properly enforced. And for me, that is the biggest thing and the thing that I'm focusing the most on right now. There are lots of different ways that the Code of Ethics, either the current Judicial Code of Ethics, which applies to all other federal judges, not the justices, could apply to the justices or other ethical laws or rules that can apply to them. But there has to be teeth to those. And there has to be some sort of enforcement mechanism so that these judges who go before the Senate Judiciary Committee and lie um, or who do not reveal the proper disclosures that there's some mechanism of enforcement where there's an investigative body that looks into that. And ultimately, if they find real wrongdoing, there's there of course, is referrals to for the possibility of impeachment or referrals to the Department of Justice for potential uh, criminal penalties or civil penalties. But it would also provide a real deterrent effect. Um, and right now we're, we're facing a crisis of legitimacy at the Supreme Court. And the response from the Chief Justice just this week is wholly insufficient. He said he reaffirms and restates their commitment to ethics. Well, the problem is that everybody doesn't believe there's a commitment to ethics. So he can say that all he wants, but that, that's insufficient right, right now. And they need to take action. And if they don't take action, then Congress needs to take action.
0: Well, we'll leave on that note. Hopefully Congress will do that because it's kind of a shame what's what's going on in the court. Congressman, thank you for coming on. Hope you'll come back. And uh, hopefully you're on your way to pick up some bagels and maybe win over some of the people across
2: the aisle. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: That's episode 67. If you like what you've been hearing, and even if you don't, let us know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446. Email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at andy asteroid. And when you listen, please take a quick moment to rate and review. It's very helpful. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio. And a big thank you again to our guests, Kat, Abu Ghazale and, and Congressman Dan Goldman. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.